Um, so I'm just gonna be. Uh, I'm gonna turn this off back here real quick. Josh isn't here to uh, do all this for me back here, so I'm gonna do it real quick. Um, so uh, I'm just gonna be straight up honest this morning. Uh, first, I want to say uh, to all the people who are sick this morning, I hate that you're not here. But also, I want to say just right off the bat, today could cause me to be in a little bit of trouble, and that's okay because I don't exist for your for entertainment. <laughs> um, but so there's, I'm going to say some things today that may be a little seem a little harsh, um, especially in regards to one area, uh, but come back next week for next week's question, and it'll clarify a little bit, but um, our Old Testament brother, Samuel, wrote this about his climate of the day um, when he wrote this. It says this, now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. Eli was a priest in the temple um, during a really corrupt time. And it says this, And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? This was a time when the temple or the church of that day was corrupt. Even the priesthood was corrupt. Even Eli's family was corrupt. If you read Samuel, like Samuel's first prophecy was again, like that night where the, like, where the story that goes on to tell is that Eli start, I mean, Samuel starts hearing the voice of God calling him in the middle of the night. And he'd run to Eli and said, you called me. And Eli's like, you're not call, I'm not calling you. Go back to bed. It happened a couple times. And the last time Eli said, when you hear the voice again, say, here I am, God. Speak to me. And he did. And the first prophecy he got given was one against Eli and his sons because his sons were corrupt. And Eli let that influence his ministry. And um, it was basically uh, God... Through Samuel telling Eli, the priesthood from your side of the family will end when you die. Talk about a hard first message to preach, right? Um, But this kind of matches our culture of today, doesn't it? This is, like I said, this was a time when the temple or the church of that day was corrupt. The world around it seemed to be falling apart or falling into corruption and moral decline. Again, it sounds like we're right in the world today. Um, but why? Why was this happening then? Why is it happening now? And, it, and, it's, and it's because God's people have lost their voice. By our own choosing, by the way. Just so you guys are aware. God's people had lost their voice. And, here, and here's the truth this morning is that when the church loses its voice, the, the, loses its voice, the culture fades. When we lose our voice or our influence in um, Influence in, in culture, the, the, not, not only do we decline, but the world around us decline. In fact, I, had, I was listening to a guy this week who, who said, um, what's the point of having influence if we don't use it for what matters most? You with me? See, the church has lost its voice. The temple had lost its voice here because they were, they were corrupt. They were falling in moral decline just as much like today's culture. But here's the thing about the church, and church, and this is the absolute truth, is that the church is and should be the prophetic voice to the culture around us. That's what we are here for. Like this, this is our role in society, is to be the prophetic voice calling out from the wilderness, saying, come and repent. In fact, um, Jesus said this exact thing in Luke 24, 
he records it this way. He said, he supernaturally unlocked, he being Jesus, supernaturally unlocked their understanding to receive the revelation of the scriptures and then said to them, everything that has happened fulfills what was prophesied of me, of me, me, the Christ. Inside of me, Christ the Messiah was destined to suffer and raise from the dead on the third day. Now you must go into all the nations and preach repentance, prophesy repentance and forgiveness of sins so that they will turn to me. Start right here in Jerusalem. Start where you live, work, and play. For you are are my witnesses and have seen for yourself all that has transpired. And I will send, send the fulfillment of the Father's promise to you. That's the Holy Spirit. So stay here in the city until the mighty power of heaven falls upon you and wraps around you. So the Spirit not only falls on us, but it wraps around us and it fills us. Our role in society is to be that prophetic voice in the culture to call all to repentance. But here's the thing, though. The only voice that we really have, the only authority that we really have in this world is, is the Word of God. Nothing else. And I'm going to say it like this, and this is probably going to hurt some people's, hurt some people's feelings, but that's okay. But you should know that your opinion holds no weight at all. Holds no weight at all. But let me, can I tell you about this book real quick? This is the only book, this, is, this Bible, this Word of God, is the only book that can, can make a lasting change in any man's life. This book is the only book that says that it's living and active. It's the only one that can, it's the only book that can have a lasting change in a man's life. And if any man seeks to change the words of this book, has not been truly changed by this book. In fact, in fact, this is, this is what, the, what Hebrews says about the word. It says this in Hebrews 4.12. It says, For we had the living word of God, which is full of energy, like a two-mouthed sword. It will, it will even penetrate the very core of our being, where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. In, 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 interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our heart. There is no one person who can hide their thoughts from God, for nothing that we do remains a secret, and nothing created is concealed. But everything is exposed and defenseless before his eyes, to whom we must render an account. This is the word of God. This, this book, the Bible, is the only thing that can right, rightfully divide. What that means is, is that it penetrates the most hidden parts of our being. Those dark places in our life, it penetrates those and lay, lays them bare. Here's what this also means. It means that the, the, this, this book, this Bible, is on a collision course with our culture. And I'm not just talking about the world. I'm also talking about us here. You see, when a church lacks biblical fidelity, when a culture lacks biblical clarity, when a people group lacks biblical awareness, it's there that you will find a lack of revelation and inability for provisions and a disregard for truth. But as soon as you interject the word of God, it calls all man and all opinions to an account. See, this book doesn't, and this is where it might get me in a little bit of trouble, but it's okay, I don't care. Send me an email. See, this book doesn't care about your uh, preferred pronouns, political opinions, sexual preferences, or ideals at all. 
I know you got a political opinion, but what about the word? I know you got a sexual identity, but what about the word? I know you got a, a, a preference, an idea, a worldview, but what about this word? You see, as believers, this word, the word of God becomes the canon by which all other ideas, philosophies, opinions, and preferences are judged. So, that, well, Derek, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, then, well, you, I find that wrong in the scripture. Well, the problem isn't that the scripture is wrong. It's that your opinion is wrong. And you may be saying amen to all that, but it, but it equally divides or calls sin, sin out, including sin that's within the body of Christ. Because judgment always starts at home. Just like in this story, uh, the story that we started out with with Samuel. It started out in the home. It started out in the temple within the church. Because if we can't get it right, if we can't rightly, rightfully divide the word, then how can we expect the world to be cleaned up? How can we expect the world to be clean when, when we are not ourselves? Because here's the kicker. I mean, why it's so important. For, for us to understand this, and why I love the question that was asked, I'm turn this as well, I'll read here in a second, but anymore, the church, for a long time now, the church has just been an echo of the culture around us. Honestly. Afraid to speak up and speak into, into, into things. Right? Well, it's separation of church and state. That's not what all that meant to begin with. What was meant was that the church shouldn't be controlled by the government. It couldn't tell us how to operate. Not that we should influence the culture around us. Right? So go and vote. Please go and vote. Please do what you need to do to influence the culture around us and stop just being an echo of the world that's around us. But we have to begin to rightfully divide the word ourselves and let it really divide us. And I think we should allow the words of David in Psalms 119.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word should always be the base for our opinions, philosophies, and ideals. And if our opinion doesn't match up with the words, if we are believers, then we need to change our opinion about what, 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 whatever subject it is. So before I get too far, here was the question that was turned into me. Is the Bible really relevant to everything in our world today? Right? So I, I'm not going to list out a bunch of things of how it's relevant, but I'm going to list two hot topics, well, really three, but, but one, the first one is just kind of an observation. Even though that we could keep going, but one way to show the world the word's relevance is to show the fulfillment of it in our culture today. Right? Because if you watch the news, you know how depraved and how moral corrupt our society is. Right? And this is what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 1. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing, uh, appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will will not endure sound teaching but have an itch, have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths 
As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering. Do, do the work of an evangelist, fulfilling your ministry. You catch what it said about the culture. It, what it said about the culture is, is that they will turn from, from truth and listen to people that, that please their ear, that say exactly what they want them to say. So let's be real for a minute. It's not that people have an issue with the Bible. It's that they don't want, want to be under the authority of the word. That's why you have phrases like, well, that's not my truth. We, you have no truth. But the real reason why people reject the Bible is that they, it no longer fits their cultural wants. You know, it, they, they, they reject the principles of truth based on and for of the Bible because they don't want the authority of God's word over them. They don't want to be controlled. I want to live my life how I want and when I want to. See, the authority of the word, this is, this, this is why. You know, I mentioned a minute ago that it's, it, it cuts bone and marrow. It's, you can think of it like this, is that the authority of the word of God is, is nothing short of a surgeon's scalpel which lay, lay you bare and show the real you, not for punishment, but for healing. But even healing can be painful sometimes. But the, the point is, when we reject the Bible's authority, when we reject the Bible's authority, we are rejecting the very thing that has been put into place by a loving God for our good. Right? So here's the two examples, and one of these is definitely going to get me in trouble, and it's okay. Send me an email. Okay. When the Word of God says, this is how relationships should work, it's not coming from a place of control or him wanting to be a killjoy. In fact, he, want, like he wants you to have ultimate joy in relationships. Right? So when he de describes sex within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman, it's not because he's a grumpy old man. It's because he knows how it works. You know God created sex. You with me? He, <laughs> thank you, God, for creating sex. God created sex, and he, he, like he, like he's the one to, who created it and made it, so maybe we should listen to him on how it works because, I mean, when God created sex and, 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 he, and he ordained a married couple, the first married couple, Adam and Eve, he said this. He said in Genesis 2.25, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. They felt no shame. Why is this important? Why is sex only designated to be between a man and a woman? And within the confines of marriage, and why, and why were they not ashamed? Well, Mark ten eight says, and the husband and wife will be joined as one flesh, and after after that they no longer exist as two, but as one flesh. When a man and a woman, when a man and a woman have sex, they become one person. When they when they become married, they become one person, which means me and Brittany are no longer, even though we're two separate people, we're not viewed as two because we're in, intermingled with each other. And when you intermingle with somebody, when you, have, when you have that type of relationship with somebody, you become connected to that person forever. That's why, like, in my own life, where uh, I often say it like this. Well, I ain't going to say it like that anymore. Um, well, I was real friendly in high school, right? I carry that with me every day, even into my relationship with, with Brittany now. 
I carry the shame of that because I'm still connected to the people I was intimate with. And that's not fair to Brittany. When you, when you, when you have relationships like, relationships like that, you, you, you carry around the shame of that. That's why I want to think that like, when you have shame, what do you often do? You try to cover it up with more shame and try to block that stuff out. See, outside of the confines of marriage, the way God designed it to work will always leave you with shame because you become one with the one you're intimate with. You're always connected to that person on a level that you were never meant to be except for the person who God ordained for you to marry. But then you might go, well, Derek, I believe love is love no matter, no matter. So I agree about loyalty and being faithful to the one you marry, but I believe God ordains all love. Well, then you have to, because we're talking about the relevance of Scripture today, right? The Word of God. Well, then you as a believer have to do something with Romans chapter 1, verses 21 that says, Throughout human history, the fingerprint of God, the fingerprints of God were upon them, yet they refused to honor him as God or even be thankful for his kindness. Instead, they entertained corrupt, foolish thoughts about what God was like. This left them with, with nothing but misguided hearts steeped in moral darkness. Although claiming to be wise, they were in fact shallow fools. For, on, on, for only a fool would trade the unfading splendor of an immortal God to worship the fading image of other humans because all sex outside of the confines of marriage is worship of another person, of creation. The bed becomes an altar on which you lay your life down on. They worship the fading image of other humans, idols made to look like people, animals, birds, and even creeping, creeping reptiles. This is why God lifted off his restraining hand and let them have full expressions of their sinful and shameful desires. They were given over to moral depravity, dishonoring their bodies by sexual perversion among themselves, all because they traded the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and, ser uh, and served the things God made rather than God who made all things. Glory and praise to him forever and ever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to their own disgraceful and vile passions. Inflamed with lust for one another, men and women ignored the natural order and exchanged normal sexual relations for homosexuality. Women engaged in, in, lesbian, conduct, in lesbian conduct and men committed shameful acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their deviation. We'll talk about this more next week with the with the question that we answered. But here's here's the thing, right? Like God ordained relationships to work in a certain way because he he knows what it does to the human heart and the human soul. But what about other relationships, right? What about our for those of us who are parents? What about our relationship with our kids? Because that's he speaks into that. Now I'll, I'm gonna go over some some statistics here in a minute. But the word of God says this about our relationship with kids. He says, dedicate your children to God and point them in the way they should go. So there's our step, right? Point them in the direction they should go, right? And the values they have learned from you will, will be with them for life. Even when they seem like they're far off, the values will be with them for life. So we're, we're called to train children in the way they should go and how many people are actually doing that. Like, I have to, yeah, I have to reevaluate my, my life, too. Like, am I training my kids in the direction they go? And listen, I work in the school system. I see it. But even this next one, because sometimes we can take that. So we see the failure on that end, right? 
what ha- we'll, and we'll talk about what happens when that's not there. But there's also this other extreme that it's found in Ephesians six, where it says, "Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but raise them up in a loving, in loving discipline and counsel, and counsel that brings them revela- the revelation of the Lord." Like there's some people who are who are, who are too overbearing with their kids that pushes people pushes them away. So are we training them in the way they should go, or are we pushing them too hard? And we see the effects of both of these in our society. So is the Bible relevant to our relationship with our kids and how we should raise them? Well, let's find out. 72% of adolescents serving sentences for murder are from fatherless households. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 75% 75% of kids in drug rehabs are from fatherless homes. 75% of long-term correction facility inmates are from father-absent father households. 85% of rapists that were motivated by displaced anger are from, you guessed it, fatherless homes. 85% of kids who exhibit behavioral disorders are from fatherless homes. Um, 85% of kids in state institutions are from fatherless homes. 90% of, of all runaway kids are from, you guessed it, fatherless Homes. And guess what the culture currently is trying to do? Redefine and restructure what a family unit looks like outside of the way God has ordained it to work. And it's not working. It's actually making it worse. So that's just two areas that Scripture speak into where it's relevant for today. And both of those are having impacts on how God set up families to work. But I wanted to make sure that we talked about one way that's, that Scripture is relevant for today. That's this. See, people all over the world are looking for a better life. Right? You're looking for a better life? Better than your yesterday? Right, looking for a better life. We have people trying to get to get into this country for a better life, and I don't blame them. Right, for as all the wrong that is in America, it's still the best country in the world to live in. Don't blame them. So there's people trying to get to this country for a better life. We have many people looking for for longevity in life, trying to be healthier. Can't blame them. I mean, I am a fitness coach. Right, so eat better. Be stronger today. Lift them weights. Do you even lift, bro? I get it. We have people trying to free themselves from the bondage of their past and have a free, peaceful mind. It's called mindfulness. Which are some things in mindfulness that are great. Just so you're aware. We do it, we do a lot of that at school and what I do in the work that I do. I mean, what is the best selling book still on the market today? Anybody know? Self-help books. Next, free you. Read this book and you'll be set free, right? Is what they, basically what they're saying. And I can't tell you how many conversations I have with people who say, I'm a spiritual person, but I don't know if I believe in that. And I want to go, what spirit are you listening to? <laughs> See, no matter where you are in life, you're trying to better yourself. And none of it's working. Would you agree? More stress is piled on. You're busier than you ever have been. And none of it's working or your life is not where you perceived it would be. But here's the thing. Whole child 
The whole child thing that we do at the school just places a Band-Aid over a gushing wound. Trauma-informed training, as good as it is, just places a Band-Aid over the darkness that abides inside. Those self-help books just place a mask over our faults and our character while the Word of God cuts it open and puts it on display for healing. And fitness may give you a better life now, which is important, but your day of death is still coming. But Paul tells us in Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. You want to be saved from your current situation? There's only one way. Self-help books aren't going to help you. No matter how much working out you're going to do, you're still going to die one day. No matter how many kids you help with trauma and form training apart from Jesus, their trauma is still going to affect their life. No matter how many things you implement in your life to try to make it better, like we do with kids in school, their life's really not going to be better because they're going home to the same darkness every day. Now I just look at them sometimes with this same, they give me trouble one day, it's okay, that I'm here. I just look at them and I just say, in one way or another, I say, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. If you want your life to be different, if you want your life to be different, you have to trust the power of these words that tell us about Jesus. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is the only book that can truly change who, you, who you've been and what you've been through. The only thing that can bring healing to the pain of your past. It's the only way that you can live a full and happy life. It's, it's, it's the word of God that says, try to not come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. So how many workouts have you done? How many self-help books have you read? How many mindfulness exercises have you done? Have you found joy in yourself yet? No, because you, you're still not where you thought you would be. There's still more push-ups you have to do. There's still one more chapter you have to read. There's still this one more whatever you have to do. Maybe if I do one more of this, it'll get me to where. If I could just lose five more pounds, maybe I'll be where I, where I want to be. And you lose those five pounds and you're, you see somebody somebody's post on social media and like, I mean, I just want to look like that. So maybe if I lose five more pounds, I'll be like this, you know. Or if I read that book, it will set me free. No, no, no. It's only this book that will set you free because it tells you about the one who can save your life. So have you found joy in yourself yet? No? Let me introduce you to Jesus. Acts 4.12 says this, And there is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, no other book under heaven, no other religion, religion under heaven, nothing. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name can give you life. Only Jesus can. First Peter 1 says this, Celebrate with praises that God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us 
His extravagant mercy. For His fountain of mercy has given us a new life. You want a new life? It's only found in Jesus. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's this Jesus that can only give you hope for tomorrow. He is our only hope. So it's, the Word of God is relevant because He's the only one that can save you. It's relevant because it's the only place that you can find hope. Psalms 147.3 says, He heals the wounds of every shattered heart. How many people are living in brokenness and sorrow? You could hear the conversations I have with kids every day. You're like, man, what does the future hold for these kids? Like just this week, I had a girl show up, sixth grade girl show up to the school. She's coming through the breakfast line. She's always into some drama. Somebody's probably said something to us. I say, hey, what's the matter? And she goes, my eight-year-old brother died yesterday. Why are you at school today? My mom made me. You talk about brokenness. You know what she asked me? Why, why did my brother have to die? He already had a hard life because he's, he, 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 he had a mental disability. having to sit down with her and have that conversation. Let her cry on my shoulder for a little while. She lost all hope in humanity, which you should do. I got to share with her the hope of Jesus. That even though in this pain there is a future where you can see your friends. He had a shattered heart. He's the only one that can heal a shattered heart. And James 5.13 says this. It says, Are there any, any believers in your fellowship suffering from great hardship and, and distress? Encourage them to pray. Are there, are there happy, cheerful ones among you? Encourage them to sing out their praises. Are there any sick among you? Then ask the elders of the church to come and pray over the sick and anoint them with oil in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he heals not only the heart, but the body. It's only through Jesus that we can be saved. It's pretty relevant, given what everybody else is doing. He is our only source of hope. He can heal our hearts and our bodies. What about our sin? Because all that stuff is... What about our sin nature? Because we can't fix anything about our sin. Well, Ephesians 1, 7, it says, Since we are now joined to Christ, we have been given the treasure of redemption. The treasure of redemption. That comes from the word redeem, which means to buy back. He buys us back. The treasure of redemption by his blood. The total cancellation of our sins. All because of of the cascading riches of his grace. No other name can give you life. He is our only hope. He heals the soul and the body. And he is our redemption. This is why it's so relevant. Because we need all of these things to even make it through to tomorrow. So yeah, we can discuss 
how relationships should work, how we should raise our kids. We can we can talk about we can talk about the relevance that it has to do with with our finances. We can talk about the relevance on what it is, how we should work every day at our jobs. We can talk about all of that, but the most important thing that makes it relevant today is we're all searching for something and all these other things while reading all these books, trying to better ourselves when the only way that we can get better and have a new life is through the blood of Jesus. And this life is still going to be hard. Right? This life is still going to, still going to struggle. There's still going to be like a fight that happens to get through tomorrow. But it's the only way that we can. Like, I don't know how people survive outside of a relationship with Christ in this world. Maybe that's why the rest of the world is so miserable. Maybe that's why all these people are just looking for the next thing to fight for because they don't realize that something's already been won. Maybe the reason the world is so restless is because the church has lost its prophetic voice to go, you need healing in that? Well, let me tell you about the healer. All you have to do is turn your life to him. We've lost our prophetic voice. And it's only the word of God can bring healing to a nation in this world. But first, it has to start here with me. Has it changed me? Or am I just trying to change the things that it says to fit me? And if you're a believer in here and you're like, I don't know if I agree with all the stuff that the church teaches. To be honest with you, there's some things that the church teaches that I disagree with. Especially in how we respond to certain things. But does your opinion line up with what the Word says as a believer? And if it doesn't, maybe we need to check our opinion. Because there's a world out there needing hope. The only hope that is found is in this world. That's found in the blood of Jesus. That's why we're about to sing a song. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. The blood is so relevant for today. To God, we want to thank you so much. thank you that it's your word that brings life, that you want to speak to us. And how you speak to us is through your word. I want to thank you for I want to thank you for your, for your word. That it's your revelation to us. That even though it hurts sometimes, that it does rightfully divide like it penetrates my soul. God, I honestly just want to thank you that it does lay me bare. Even if there's any areas in my life that need to be laid bare, even further, just God, just let that, your, that word, let your word just open where there is healing in my life that needs healing, 